Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments, Season 3. Thank you for joining me on this journey into the odd, the weird, the strange, Hope you'll enjoy it. Now, on with the show. Hello, my Mysterians. Let's jump straight into the stories. The Evil Christmas Scarecrow. In a story that sounds like it came from the mind of Tim Burton and in the vein of The Nightmare Before Christmas comes the story of Hans Trapp better known as one of Santa's wicked sidekicks, and it's based on the real 15th century German knight Hans von Trotha. After waging war against an abbey, he was excommunicated by the Pope. Legends of Hans von Trotha spread until he became known as Hans Trapp, a folkloric figure in France. According to the legend of Hans Trapp, he was a greedy, violent man who made a deal with the devil to gain fortune. The church found out about Hans's blasphemous deal and excommunicated him, seizing his land and profits. Driven away by society, Hans found refuge in the woods, where he once again dabbled in the dark arts. The isolation drove him mad, and he began to crave human flesh. Now that sounds like some of the more modern legends of the Wendigo in North America. When Hans could stand it no longer, he disguised himself as a scarecrow and waited by a nearby road. When a boy passed, Hans stabbed the boy, killing him, then dragged the corpse back to his cabin in the woods. Hans roasted the boy's flesh, but just as he was about to take a bite, Hans was struck by a lightning bolt from God and died. Righteous vengeance, perhaps? Legends of Hans Trapp arose around the same time as legends of St. Nicholas, so that Hans became one of Santa's helpers. Hans punished naughty children in his scarecrow guise. The Strange Story of the Doll That Vanished What is it with Key West and Southern Florida that just emanates strangeness? Located in Key West, a number of spooky sightings and weird sensations have been witnessed in Audubon House, which was the home of Captain Jack Geiger, a well-known wrecker, that's a ship wrecker, and his 12 children more than 200 years ago. These stories include the terrifying true story of the camera-shy doll that lived there. The doll is said to have got up and walked out of its home in front of frightened witnesses. A maid is said to have found the doll under a bush in the garden. 
Originally, the doll is thought to have belonged to the girl whose strangely eerie portrait still hangs in the house and has moved some visitors to tears. The picture is said to wail at night. Witnesses see ghosts, and hundreds of visitors and passers-by have witnessed apparitions of children laughing, crying, and playing in the nursery. The captain himself has been seen walking with his daughter Hannah in the gardens. When a cholera epidemic was sweeping the town, many sick children were brought to the nursery, where they would spend their last days in the oppressive room, shuddered away from the fearful town folk. So many children died here that the room itself took on a chilling aura of death. The house was opened as a museum in 1960, at which time the doll was placed in a toy carriage in the corner of the faithfully recreated nursery. After an elaborate security system was installed, the museum manager was constantly being called back to investigate alarms tripped by movement in the house. The activity would always be from the children's room. Security staff frequently reported seeing someone or something in the window, but when they went to investigate, no one was there. One night the doll vanished from the alarmed and locked room. It is reportedly not been seen since. The house is said to be one of the most haunted in the world. Aren't they all? Whenever visitors tried to take photos of the strange-looking doll, they all experienced problems with their cameras. Either pictures didn't come out at all, or black streaks appeared. In one instance, the back suddenly flew off a photographer's camera, exposing the film and destroying the image. This particular photographer, a director planning to shoot a series for the Discovery Channel, determined to disprove the story of the camera-shy doll, so he returned and took more pictures. In the last photo to be taken of the doll, the black streak is clearly visible. The man that vanished into thin air. James Tedford, often referred to as Tetford, was born around 1884 in Vermont. Not much is known about his early life, but by 1940, he resided in Fletchertown, Franklin, Vermont, with his younger wife, Pearl. She was 28, he was 56. Things started to get strange following Tedford's return to Vermont at the end of his second spell of military service at the end of World War II. He returned to find his wife Pearl had vanished. No trace of her could be found. The property they rented in Fletchertown had been left abandoned. Tedford's family claimed no knowledge of the whereabouts of his missing wife. They said they had last seen her as she was heading to the Amico store in Franklin, but they never saw her again. Desperate and lonely, Tedford checked into a soldier's home in Bennington sometime around 1947. On December 1, 1949, Tedford's remaining family reported him missing. Police investigations and reports show he boarded a bus in St. Albans a few days earlier, but that he had not arrived at his destination. Tedford had vanished mysteriously during the last part of the trip. He was on his way home to the retirement home in Bennington from a trip to see family in St. Albans, Vermont. The scheduled bus trip would have taken the best part of eight hours, but heavy snow caused a long delay. The route also passed through the Green Mountain National Forest, 
an area renowned for disappearances and strange events during the 40s. Tedford was seen sitting on the bus by 14 other passengers. They all testified to seeing him there, sleeping in his seat. When the bus reached its destination, however, Tedford was gone, and the driver and other witnesses all testified that they had not seen the old man leave the bus. Tedford was seen getting on the bus in St. Albans by multiple witnesses and was seen still on the bus at the last stop before arriving in Bennington. Somewhere between the last stop and Bennington, Tedford vanished. Strangely, all his belongings were still on the luggage rack and a local bus timetable lay open on his empty seat. Tedford has never returned or been found. Tedford is just one of a number of mysterious cases of missing people from around the Bennington area in the 30s and 40s. And I believe I covered this story in, a, in, a, in another story about strange triangles, uh, areas of unusual situations. And I think this one is called the Bennington Triangle. The strange and creepy internet mystery of Alex from Tennessee. It started off simply enough. An anonymous challenge made to those browsing 4chan's notorious slash b slash sub, a prize hidden near a rubble, was promised. The original poster making the challenge provided specific coordinates for the location of the prize. And a broader view reveals that the location is in one of three apparently empty warehouses behind a seemingly abandoned old lot in Elizabethton, Tennessee, in East Tennessee, among the Tri-Cities. By the shape of the warehouses, they may have once been airplane hangars. The denizens of 4chan were understandably skeptical of the notion that there was any prize there at all, and most assumed it was just another scam, someone trolling them for fun. But the original poster promised the location was warm, and that there were no cops around. He pressured people to come and claim the prize. He then posted a disturbing picture. People still didn't respond and that seemed to annoy him greatly, so he posted another gruesome picture. He made a cryptic statement regarding my friend, then posted another picture of a prize. The nature of the prize seemed to become a bit clearer. The seemingly human remains the mention of a friend he had had for a long time. This image the user posted appears to have some kind of writing on it, although it cannot be made out. This was the last time the original poster took part in this thread, and it lay dormant for several days with no one announcing they planned to go and claim this prize. Then five days later, a user calling himself Alex appeared and said he was going to check things out. He also decided to live post what he found, uploading pictures he took as he went and providing short commentary. In his first post, he makes a reference to coming early, which seems to imply he had reached out to the original poster and agreed to meet him at the location of the prize. Being sneaky, Alex decided to arrive early to scope out the scene in advance of meeting with the creepy online stranger in real life. He posted this photo of himself heading down some stairs first, presumably because the original poster's photos depict a basement. Pictures of some jars and what appears to be the door of the basement 
proves that Alex appears to have indeed arrived before his friend did. Alex noted that the floor was made of dirt, a construction technique not allowed for decades, making the building he was in quite old. The building was apparently huge and smelled like spoiled food. There was also scrap everywhere and wiring that appeared fairly new down in the basement. He also thought he heard his friend arriving, but went back upstairs and saw nothing. At this point, he heard a rustling sound. Resuming his search, he eventually found a plastic bag. He opened it and found a folded and sealed styrofoam plate which had written on it, Open Prize, Hide Eyes. Inside the folded and fastened plate was a hard drive which Alex put in his pocket. The inside of the folded plate also had writing on it which said, Plate's a date, a very important mate. You shouldn't have come here. I lied. When he continued opening the plastic bag, something inside it moved, and he posted, Okay, expletive. Opening bag and it moved. I almost expletive. Bag contained tortured possum, bound up in string, bag inside bag inside bag. When I got all the bags apart, the possum was jammed in this foam in a plastic Walmart bag. Continuing to explore, Alex discovered old prescription pills and something else large wrapped in plastic and duct tape. He also heard a car pull up and began to panic. I hear someone outside driving really slow over the gravel. I think it's time for my date. I'm going to see if there's a second door. Very dark. Phone flashlight is not good. WTF is this. And Alex decided to get the heck out of there. He found what he thought was a crawl space or a basement window. And that was the last post Alex gave. He was never heard of again. Well, I don't think I would have gone there to begin with. In 1941, a farmer in Odon, which I think is in Indiana, had breakfast with his family, then headed out to his barn to begin his chores. Then he noticed smoke coming out of an upstairs window in his house. He ran back and with the help of the volunteer fire department, put out the fire in an upstairs bedroom, only to have another fire break out in another room. All day long, as soon as they put out one fire, another would start elsewhere in the house. Twenty-eight in all, believing his house to be haunted by poltergeists. Long story short, the farmer tore it down and built a new one. They have never determined the cause of the fires. In 1988, Randy Leach, a teenager from Leavenworth County, disappeared from a high school party and has never been found. What makes the case stranger is there had been rumors of satanic cult activity in the county in the days before Randy's disappearance, and the party site had been cleaned meticulously before investigators arrived. Soon after, it burned to the ground. Most people who have cooperated in the investigation have turned up dead, and county officials declined to pursue further leads. There are theories about what really happened that night, but we may never know the truth. Bizarre satellite images appear to have revealed a huge staircase leading up the side of a snowy mountain in Antarctica. Antarctica is one of the most desolate places on the planet and also the coldest continent. In spite of the cold, the fact that it contains about 90% of the world's ice, Antarctica is classified as a desert because of its minimal rainfall 
Over the years, scientists have made many discoveries here, including a valley deeper than the Grand Canyon that lies under the ice in West Antarctica. It's at the South Pole. How do you know east, west, north, or south? Anyway, in West Antarctica, as well as an undersea volcano off the Antarctic coast. Earlier this year, pictures of a structure resembling a giant staircase running up the side of an Antarctica mountain started making the rounds on the internet. That causes a red flag in my opinion. With it comes the conspiracy theories. Some people are convinced the staircase is a remnant of the lost city of Atlantis, while others believe it to be a landing site for UFOs or a Nazi base. There has been no official scientific theory given as yet for the anomaly after it was spotted on Google Earth, leaving it open to the imagination as to just what that structure may be. Some suggested it could be part of a pyramid structure, while others claimed the lines were tracks left behind by a UFO or air vents for a huge underground colony. Many people believe the image proves the city of Atlantis is real and is actually located in Antarctica. A very strange tale about a red gnome. In 1858, a 138-foot-long, 385-ton wooden brig called the Black Hawk sailed from Detroit, Michigan to Liverpool, England, laden with very strange cargo. Down in the hold, stowed away among the 19,000 bushels of corn and padded parcels of stained glass, there was a barrel containing the pickled corpse of something truly terrifying. In Detroit, Michigan, June of 1763, British Captain James Dalyell and 58 of his officers were followed near the banks of the Detroit River by a small, misshapen, crimson-clad figure with penetrating eyes, a large fanged mouth, and a hideous scarlet face. Several soldiers shot at the weird-looking figure, and an old trapper warned Captain Dalyell and his men that they were being stalked by what the French settlers called the Nain Rouge, the Red Gnome, a sinister supernatural entity whose appearance foretold misfortune and death. Sure enough, shortly after seeing the Crimson Dwarf, Captain Dalyell and his soldiers were ambushed and massacred by the Indian chief Pontiac, and the blood of the slain turned the tributary of the Detroit River red for days. Decades earlier, the founder of Detroit, Antoine De La Moth Cadillac was also unlucky enough to see the Red Gnome and soon lost his vast fortune and political standing. The diminutive omen of impending misfortune and death was seen again in 1801, shortly before the wooden city of Detroit was destroyed by a fire. Then, in the War of 1812, the Nain Rouge was seen prowling around in a fog by many witnesses, including General William Hull, who was forced to hand over Detroit to the British days later. Around the end of 1857, there was a rumor that two hunters had killed the Red Gnome in a forest. They had shot him several times and fixed him to a tree with their bayonets to prevent his escape, and the body had been exhibited and then packed in salt. The superstitious people of the colony arranged for the monstrosity to be burned, for there was a widespread fear it would return to life, and a bonfire was built in a clearing. But someone approached the men who had killed the strange creature and purchased it for an undisclosed sum. 
A collector of oddities in Liverpool, England, arranged for the Red Gnome's cadaver to be shipped to the home of a warehousekeeper, Michael Connolly, at 25 Clarence Street in Everton. The Black Hawk brig brought the curious cargo to Liverpool docks, and the small cask was delivered to the wrong Clarence Street. There were three streets of that name in the city at that time, and instead of going to Everton, it was delivered to the home of Abraham Harris, a jeweler living at 25 Clarence Street in the city center. A servant signed for the cask, and Mr. Harris was horrified when he saw the grotesque little man pickled in brine in the barrel. The cask was stored in the cellar, and in the evening, when the jeweler went down to show a colleague the terrifying corpse, they found the barrel empty and its lid lying on the floor. The evil-looking creature was never seen again. Had someone stolen the red gnome, or was the real explanation much more sinister? Ancient Mystery of Puma Punku Stones in Tiahuanaco Something strange and unexplainable happened at Puma Punku. These are some of the oldest and most baffling ruins on the face of the earth. It is hard to imagine how they did not come to be known as one of the wonders of the world like the Great Pyramid. As spectacular in its own right as the Great Pyramid is, it runs a neck-and-neck neck race in comparison in strangeness to the ruins of Pumapunku in Tiwanaku in South America. The ruins of Pumapunku are one of four structures in the ancient city of Tiwanaku. The other three structures are the Akapana Pyramid, Kalasasaya Platform, and the Subterranean Temple. Are they advanced technology? Even with modern-day technology and information, these structures defy logic and confound those who seek to solve the mysteries that lie in them. The ruins of Pumapunku are said to be the most fascinating and most confusing of all. Pumapunku is believed to have once contained a great wharf and a massive four-part structure, yet all that remains today are megalithic ruins from some cataclysmic event in history. A great earthquake? a comet that came too close to the earth, a worldwide flood. These are all possible causes to the destruction of the once great structure that is now the ruins of Pumapunku. Not only is there evidence to support the claim of a cataclysmic flood, like maybe the Bible, but there is even evidence to support the theory that people once lived there before such a flood even occurred. Well, they wouldn't live there during the flood, they'd die there. The suspected flood could have happened somewhere around 12,000 years ago, and there is scientific evidence of tools, bones, and other material within flood alluvia, which suggests that a civilized people were there prior to any flood. Other evidence, that being carvings of bearded people that are not Andean, have been recorded throughout the area. How is it that these ancient people were able to cut stones like this? It is as if only master builders were allowed to come in and construct Pumapunku. All of the blocks are cut so that they interlock and fit together like a puzzle. There's no mortar. There are only great stones that once fit together, creating a structure some four levels high. If these people could have moved these large stones to this precise location, then obviously they also had a way to place them one on top of another. But how in the world was this accomplished? There are no trees in the area. The nearest quarry is at least 10 miles away. 
and we have no records as to how any of this could have been done. As far as most are concerned, there is no way that the Andean people could have done this 25,000 years ago. If they couldn't have done it, how is it possible that an even older group of people accomplished it? There is one more significant thing to mention about Puma Punku. Not only were these stones cut somehow, but they were finely cut. The cuts on these stones are perfectly straight. The holes cored into these stones are perfect and all of equal depth. So who did build Puma Punku? I'm not going to make any suggestions because I haven't a clue. I wasn't there at the time. Well, that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I thank you for being along for the ride and be with me next week as we come back with another story or another group of stories for Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, which is listener stories that Aaron tells, mostly ghost stories. And on Tuesdays, we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show, where he reviews horror movies, different books, uh, things that he's written. And on Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with me, Terry from Texas, where we cover just about anything you can think of. And on alternating Thursdays, have a little update here on the Sandman Lullaby with Patrick Sean Jones. He is undergoing some difficulties with various aspects of his show and his job and his external life. And he is on a brief hiatus, hoping to be back beginning of the new year. And just remember him as you go through your day, okay? We also have video productions on the first Friday of the month from Full Dark Productions, from The Witching Hour, and from Unexplained Cases. Also remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have an Apple or an Android, you can go to your app store, look for the RPA app. It's a black square with a blue eye right in the middle of it. You can't miss it. And you can download that app Install it into the device you uh, listen to the programs on, and that way you will not have to go looking for the programs. They'll be right there. Do that. It'll be a lot easier for you to get to the stories. That's about it. I hope everybody has a good week. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.